Welcome back to season two of Baseball Acumen. I'm your host, Brian. And I'm Katie. And we are glad to be back with you for another run at a handful of episodes here. Katie, I didn't think we were going to necessarily be doing this another year, but <laughs> here we are. We made it happen. So. Yeah. Take that pandemic. (laughs) So Katie, I know we were kind of talking about what can we do for this season. I think an area you and I both wanted to explore a little more was how can we get just a tiny bit more math nerdy this season than we did last season when talking about baseball. So I think this episode will get us pushed in the right direction so we can talk (laughs) a little bit of statistics and prep our listeners for a little bit more math formula stuff in our next episode. So hold on to your seats, everyone. It's going to get a little nerdy, but it'll be fun. We promise. (laughs) We promise. So I think one thing to talk about, and you and I are both baseball nerds, we're both statistics nerds, and we're both math nerds, right? (laughs) And the beautiful thing is, in the sport of baseball, those three things really do coincide well, and maybe more so than most other sports out there. Wouldn't you agree, Katie? Absolutely. And the reason for that, of course, is that it's a lot easier to measure baseball because it comes down to a bunch of one-on-one relationships. You have a pitcher throwing a ball to a catcher trying to get it past a batter and there's a strike zone and how fast is it and how accurate is the hitter at hitting the ball. Everything's just a much more clean than in a sport like, say, football or basketball where you've got multiple people simultaneously interacting with one another at the same time, all affecting the outcome of the play. Um, Baseball's kind of not like that. It actually is a very easy sport to measure because you do get all these just one person at a time touches the ball type interactions. Right. Far fewer variables when you're thinking about it mathematically than... Right. It's a very simple sport. And as a result... Kind of historically, it's been drawn to math nerds because they figured out they could actually measure stuff easier in baseball compared to a lot of other sports. And of course, that's where this all starts getting interesting, right? Because I've mentioned last season how I grew up collecting baseball cards and you see all the stats on there. And, you know, it's all the good fun stuff like batting average and RBI runs batted in, stolen bases, doubles, singles, triples, home runs, all that sort of stuff. And of course, what people started noticing in the back half of the 20th century is some of those statistics that we've sort of traditionally latched onto, such as batting average for hitters and ERA for pitchers, they don't actually tell as much of the story as we think they do. <laughs> Let's just take batting average as a for instance. Batting average doesn't actually factor in different ways besides getting a hit that a hitter can get on base, right? right. They can walk, they could be hit by a pitch. It's just simply number of hits divided by number of at-bats. And so there's these things in there that aren't factored in. It's like he gets no credit for being on base if he walked. Like that's just as good as if a hitter got a hit. Similarly, batting average doesn't account for things like extra base hits, right? You don't really get extra credit for getting a double, a triple, or a home run, right? Sure. So basically a guy who's hitting a whole bunch of singles might hit the exact same number of singles as a second batter who's hitting the same number of home runs as the first guy is singles, and they have exactly the same batting average. But who is affecting the outcome of this team's score more? (laughs) Definitely the home run guy. Right. It's the home run hitter, of course. So 
people started noticing that these were just maybe not quite the best kind of statistic for hitters. And so it led to the development of things such as on-base percentage as a statistic, where you are factoring in things like walks and being hit by a pitch. And then similarly, as far as extra base hits go, you have the statistic of slugging percentage, right? Mm -hmm. So you are dividing by the number of total bases instead of the number of total hits. So you get one base for a single, a double is worth two bases, triple worth three, Mm -hmm. home run worth four, right? So all of a sudden, if you're looking at somebody's slugging percentage, it's starting to tell more of the story because they're obviously potentially getting into scoring position more, advancing more runners, more bases, and converting into the actual very important statistic in baseball, which is the number of runs your team scored. Yeah. (laughs) Because without those runs, you can't really win many games. And so this gets us into the area of what's known commonly as sabermetrics. This idea of using the baseball's ability to calculate more carefully the interactions that happen on the field Mm -hmm. in order to delve deeper and get more accurate statistics that will better predict the outcome of baseball games. And of course, uh, how they sort of started figuring this out is the teams that had the overall highest batting average weren't necessarily the teams that were scoring the most runs or winning the most games. So you can get you know, three batters on base every inning and never score a run in baseball. Yeah. So you can see how some of these statistic like batting average can be uh, somewhat imperfect in how it converts to how well a team is actually doing winning baseball games. Sure. So kind of like Brian was saying, baseball's had statistics around for a long time, but kind of near the end of the 20th century, early 21st, People were realizing that if we could figure out how to use statistics better, we could make better decisions about players in terms of management, especially thinking about trades, who's worth investing in, who's maybe not. So most people have heard of a movie called Moneyball. So it's about this guy, Billy Bean. And he was the first one to realize how much statistics could be leveraged in baseball in particular. Um, And it's led to a whole statistics transformation in sports in general, which is really cool. But basically, the story of Moneyball is the Oakland A's, which was the team that he was with, they're a small market team. So that just means they're working with a much smaller budget than a team like the Yankees, for instance. Right. And how do you beat the Yankees if you can't pay for the big players exactly. who are the best, they right? They just buy whoever they want. Yeah. So the Oakland A's did not have that budget, but they were trying to think, okay, what is the most strategic way that we can build a team without having to spend all this extra money? So Billy Bean did some analysis with the math here and came up with a theory that if you can invest in guys who are going to get on base, doesn't matter how they got there, doesn't matter if they singled, doubled, tripled, walking, hit by pitch, those are equally valuable because the idea was if a guy can get on base, he's opening up more opportunities for his team to score runs, and that's how you win a ball game. Right. So a guy who gets on base who maybe walks a lot, he's not necessarily a flashy player that everybody's going to think of, but he's much more valuable oftentimes even than a guy who 
Sure, he hits a lot of home runs, but he strikes out all the time. Right. So he would create more opportunities for his team. So he started looking at players in the league and prospects coming up and started forming a team around that model. And in 2002, this worked so well that they won 20 games in a row. And that's kind of the pinnacle of the movie, if you ever watch it. Super impressive. Like, that does not happen very often in baseball. No, not at all. That is outrageous. So that was kind of the point where people realized, oh, wow, this actually works. Why are we not listening to the statistics more? We shouldn't just be trusting our instincts. Right. So that was kind of a big turnaround, especially thinking offensively. Right. And then uh, similarly, like what's the statistic that we usually rely on to tell how good a pitcher is pitching? ERA, earned run average. Of course, of course. And honestly, not the worst statistic in the world. Oh, no. So earned run average is calculated by the number of quote-unquote earned runs, and we'll talk about that in a second, that a pitcher gives up averaged over every nine innings. So if that pitcher were to pitch for a full nine-inning baseball game, how many runs would they give up, right? Or how many earned runs would they give up, I should say. Sure. It's a great statistic. It does kind of account for a few things, which is really nice. One of those being exactly what I was just sort of putting in air quotes, which obviously you couldn't see on the other (laughs) end of the podcast, but earned runs. So the great thing about earned run average is it didn't count against a pitcher for a hitter who got on base because of an error that was made out in the field. So it's starting to subtract out the defense behind the pitcher a little bit, which really is a good thing and was a good idea. It wasn't blaming pitchers for stuff their fielders behind them did. Right. So the downside of that is when exactly does a fielder get charged with an error? (laughs) And does an error mean that a fielder is actually a good or bad like outfielder or shortstop or whatever? Take, for example, one of our favorite players on the Cubs, Javi Baez, right? Shortstop, really good defensive shortstop. And he's got a really wide range and can track down balls that the average shortstop maybe couldn't get to, right? So imagine behind a pitcher, really hard ground ball, uh, maybe between the third baseman and the shortstop. Javi Baez is playing shortstop and he reaches out, grabs the ball, just barely, barely gets to it. And then because he's rushing, he makes a wild throw to first base is charged with an error, and all of a sudden, the batter's on base, right? Now, let's have that exact same play take place against a inferior shortstop who that ball between the third baseman and shortstop just squirts through the infield. No one gets a glove on it. And what does the scorer count it as? It's not an error because the fielder was worse. It's actually just charged as a hit, which in ERA is now the pitcher's fault that that hitter got on base. It's not the shortstops, even though there was a worse shortstop behind him. So all of a sudden, you can start to see how ERA doesn't really quite account for how good a defense is behind a pitcher. In fact, there's a whole bunch of variables that go into calculating that. So as it turns out, They've done now analyses of how when pitchers throw a ball at a hitter, 
And once the hitter makes contact with the ball and it's in bounds, like not a foul ball, basically it's fairly random from one pitcher to the next whether that ball is a hit or not. Yeah. And so it's really almost not the pitcher's fault at all whether a ball becomes a hit or an out even. Yeah. So that's where ERA starts to not be quite the best statistic, right? Yeah, it's a good starting place, but doesn't right. quite account for all the factors that you wish it did. Right. Yeah, so this is the dilemma that statisticians are facing as they're trying to improve analyses, especially in baseball. So one thing that kept coming up is that there wasn't really one perfect statistic that could account for all of the factors that go into making a player a good player or a bad player. Right. So thinking about a position player, right, anybody who's not a pitcher, you can account for on offense, on base plus slugging. That's a pretty good one. But what about once they're actually on base and base running? Right. It would be really nice if we had something that accounted for that as well. And what about defensively? You have some players who are awesome on offense and they're a huge liability on defense. Or <laughs> exactly. vice versa. Kyle Schwarber. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And which one's more valuable? Well, I don't know. I wish there was a way to compare that. And then same thing with the pitchers. So it would be really nice if we could account for how good is the pitcher actually given the context of his team, his ballpark, all that sort of stuff. Right. Yeah, that brings us to this dreaming of the sabermetician saying, what right. if we had an all-in-one statistic that factored all the facets of a player so we could actually measure players against each other that included hitting fielding and base running all in one. Exactly. And so you may have heard of this statistic. It's called war wins above replacement. Yeah. And this is one that honestly, I've heard people talking about, but didn't know a lot beyond sort of the basic definition of it and wanted to do this podcast episode as a way to dig in and be like, what's under the hood of that math formula? Yeah. So right. we can kind of figure out because you hear it mentioned pretty regularly now in baseball broadcasts and on sports talk radio and that sort yeah. of thing. They say this player or that player has a war rating of, and then they say a number, right? Yeah. So we should talk about what is war is an acronym for wins above replacement, W-A-R, yeah. right? right? But that's kind of a weird acronym. What does that right. even mean? Right. So the basic idea behind it is they said, okay, well, if the goal is to compare guys across teams, across positions, we want to compare them to how much better are they than average. So we're going to think about an average replacement player. That's where that word replacement comes from. Right. So that's who you're thinking of is like, okay, say your star gets injured. It's the first guy off the bench or like the guy from AAA who's going to come and fill in. That's the idea of a replacement player. So just kind of an average guy off the bench. And then you're measuring then how much better is this player than whoever would take their place if they were injured. Right. So that's kind of the idea behind this war statistic. We should also just take a second and also talk about what is a win, right? Yes, true. <laughs> In this acronym as well. So we talked about what the replacement is and that you're comparing the player to replacement. But in this case, a win, because you can sort of ascribe value to all these actions that a player can do on the baseball field, like 
stealing a base, throwing a guy out, striking out, hitting, hitting a home run. Those actually can be calculated as a statistical value that results in a team winning a baseball game, right? Right. And we'll get more into it in our next episode where we talk about what comprises wins when Katie's talking about our formula here. Yeah. So the idea is how many more games will their team win because this player is on the field than if it was just all guys off the bench? Right. And it's how many more games will they win over a 162 game season? So that gets us into why this stat exists, right? So it's really comparing uh, players against each other over the course of a full season and getting a, a numerical value there of how many total wins are they adding to their team because they're on their roster. Right. So when you hear about this war statistic, you'll hear one number ascribed to a player. So you'll say, okay, this player has a 3.2 war. But what does that mean, right? So the idea is, okay, because this player's playing, his team is going to win 3.2 more games over the course of a season than if his replacement was playing. Right. So just to kind of give you a range, just to kind of get a grasp on what these numbers are. So a replacement level player, right, guy coming off the bench, that's going to be a zero theoretically to maybe a one wins above replacement because, right, he is the replacement. He's the bar. (laughs) Right. A role player, so somebody who's coming in in a couple innings in a game, maybe he's a defensive replacement guy, something like that they'll usually be in the one to two wins above replacement range. Mm -hmm. A solid player is going to be in the two to three win above replacement range. A good player, so this is your typical starter who you're seeing, you know their name if they're on your team, they're going to be in the three to four range, and that is a very good place to be. An all-star over the course of the season is going to be in the four to five range generally. Mm-hmm. A superstar, so thinking about your guys like Mike Trout, he exceeds this regularly. <laughs> he, they're going to be in the five to six wins above replacement range. And an MVP, they're in the MVP conversation for sure if they are above six, generally speaking. Yeah, so generally when you're looking at the war statistic and you see a number value there, it's typically going to be a number between zero and usually five or six when you're thinking about a player's war for a full season. And so one thing to keep in mind is most of the players who you would recognize on the field, sometimes their instinct is, oh, well, they should be the zero. But since zero is the guy coming off the bench, usually your typical starter is more around two. So that's kind of a good baseline to keep in mind as we're talking about this. Right. Yeah, exactly. Your normal, like, everyday guy should be around a two war um, over the course of the season. There's a reason he's starting, not the guy on the bench. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Who would be a zero or a one war, right? Exactly. He is the replacement. Yeah, exactly. He is the replacement, precisely. So... That gets my wheels turning, Katie, because, you know, I'm enough of a math nerd and you're the math genius between the two of us. (laughs) So I have always wondered, what is the actual math formula that goes into calculating this overall value of a player of everything they can possibly do on the baseball field down to one single digit number that's between... Zero and five or six or so, right? And that's what we're going to look at in our next episode of Baseball Acumen. Katie is going to take us on a trip where we dig, (laughs) hopefully in a very approachable way, but we kind of get a little bit more nerdy than you normally would 
to really figure out what kind of calculation goes into coming up with this number because there's got to be some funky business going on in the right. formula to boil down a baseball player to one digit, right? Yeah, there's a reason it's taken so long to come up with this. But right. hopefully yeah. we will explain it in a way that helps you to understand what you're actually seeing in that number. So we hope you join us then for our next episode of Baseball, Baseball Acumen. Acumen.